listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Leland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community health care. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Well, hello, Pharmacy Crossroads podcast listeners. This is Bruce Neeland with another episode of Pharmacy Crossroads. As always, I'm excited to be able to introduce you to a new and remarkable guest. Uh, this is a, a repeat performer, and I'm thrilled to have him. Today, we're talking with Mark Kenny. And Mark will tell us how many names he's got in his title. I know he's marketing and government affairs and a whole bunch of things for the independent pharmacy cooperative, better known as IPC. And uh, Mark's got a bunch of neat news to share with us today. And so, Mark, I'm going to ask you to say hello. Tell us what your real title is, and then we'll jump right into the content. Sounds good. Thanks, Bruce, and thanks for having me on the uh, podcast today. It's very much appreciated. Um, fortunately, my my title now is just Executive Vice President of Government Relations for the Independent Pharmacy Cooperative. I had in the past worn several hats, um, but as of a year ago, um, at the time, talked with Don Anderson, who was the CEO, and said that I really wanted to focus my efforts and resources on the government relations uh, team. And, and there was so much momentum being built uh, in the industry that um, he agreed and uh, thought that um, my talents could be best used just really focused on state and government uh, and federal government relations. Well, and you've been at that for a while. I know we met 10, 12 years ago when you were with RX Plus Pharmacies in uh, in Colorado. And uh, so you kind of uh, moved up from there to IPC. What? How long ago was that? Um, 17 years now. It's, oh my. Uh, it goes fast, doesn't it? Oh, my gosh. Well, anyhow, the big news is when we chatted before we talked, you, you've just spent a week in Washington, D.C., and uh, I, and you got a lot of things on your list to share with us. So let's get started with your week in Washington, D.C. What happened out there? Yeah, it was a really good. And I, I want to make the clarification that uh, it was about a week and a half before the NCPA fly-in. Uh, so my colleague, John Covello, and myself, we went out and spent a few days uh, visiting uh, offices, both on the House side and Senate um, and Senate leadership. Obviously, there's some legislation that's, uh, as we speak, we we expect maybe even Senate um, uh, finance to drop their PBM refund bill, uh, may, maybe even today or tomorrow. Um, uh, as you know, there is a debt um, ceiling limit discussion going on out in D.C. right now that's taking some of the oxygen out of the room. Uh, but we're hoping to see, you know, some of the legislation being moved. And um, 
it's it's exciting in the sense that you look at there's three committees in the Senate, Senate Finance, Senate Help, um, and Senate Commerce, all looking to pass legislation um, with PBM reform. And so uh, you, you also are probably aware that on the House side um, and uh, Congressman Buddy Carter, uh, ENC, Energy and Commerce, will be introducing, I think, legislation as well um, that is really going to address some of the business practices uh, of the pharmacy benefit managers. Well, and and it takes, I guess, feet on the ground or uh, people in seats across tables to make some of this stuff happen. I um. You know, I've I've uh, I've been on uh, Capitol Hill uh, just once to actually meet in a congressman's office. Um, tell us a little bit about what that looks like. I mean, how many people are in the room, and do you really have a, the congressman, or is it mostly his aides? What what's a Capitol Hill visit look like? Yeah, that's a great question, Bruce. The you know, many times you are just meeting with their. Um, uh, health LAs, um, sometimes their chief of staff. Other times you do get to meet with the member themselves. They'll come in and uh, have a brief discussion, but uh, quite honestly, they've got so many things going on that it, you're almost better off talking with their policy person uh, that then will update them on, on the details around you know, what's important to independent pharmacy. But, um, you know, and, and many times I'll, I'll go out to Capitol Hill when they're um, not even in session, uh, they're on break and, and uh, meet. Obviously, the, the members are back in their states um, many times campaigning, uh, but it frees up the staff to really spend some time and, and get to know you. And ultimately what you want to do is become a resource for them so that when they do have questions around, you know, uh, independent pharmacy and, and what's impacting independent pharmacy in those local communities, um, getting that kind of time face-to-face -face is really, really helpful. The, the other strategy is to meet with them when they're back in their states, respective states, and they don't have all the hustle and bustle that's going on out in D.C. Um, where votes are being you know, taken all the time, and you, you see them in a more relaxed uh, environment, and I, I think it's a better use of um, our time and theirs as well. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsors for supporting our programs. Here's a quick message. This episode of Pharmacy Crossroads is sponsored by Independent Pharmacy Cooperative, widely known as IPC. Established in 1983, IPC is the nation's largest group purchasing organization owned by Independent Pharmacy. With a mission of maximizing the success of community pharmacists, IPC works to provide members with access to effective programs and services designed to enhance profitability for independent pharmacy. Read more about our mission by checking out our website at ipcrx.com. That's ipcrx.com. We hope you enjoy this episode of Pharmacy Crossroads. Great. So you mentioned John Covella a couple times. Um, tell us who you've got on your team. I mean, IPC... Uh, pretty involved in government affairs. And, and you know, I don't know that all, most pharmacists know and understand how much work 
you do uh, both state and government level, uh, federal and state level? Yeah, Bruce, I've got a great team. We've all been at this for quite some time now. Uh, John Covello, he uh, resides in New Jersey, and he does um, state work for us east of the Mississippi. Uh, and then Jim Driscoll, uh, who's located here in Colorado, like myself, uh, he takes care of the states that are west of the, the Mississippi. Uh, and then both kind of help out on the federal uh, level as well. And, and I mean, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in addition to that, we have, um, you know, really good support staff. It's not just us out there. You know, we have a, a legal department headed up by Paul Karch, who's, who's very helpful in the process. Our marketing team is responsible for the grassroots outreach for our members, which is just crucial in order to get, um, you know, uh, uh, that message across to to their elected officials and you know people say mark well you know if if you're only getting three or four people to weigh in uh, is it really that meaningful and and the answer is yes it really is if they get you know three four five calls and, uh, from their local community pharmacy that's very meaningful in addition to that we um you know we do have uh, 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 Forbes Tate, uh, which is a K Street uh, lobbying firm out in D.C., and um, we contract with them. There are um, eyes and ears and boots on the ground. They're up on Capitol Hill every single day, and so they're providing us updates um, uh, at least weekly. And then they also um, go up on Capitol Hill with us on the, on those visits as well. And then lastly, we have um, uh, contract consultants, and we work with Scott Pace out of Arkansas, Antonio Chacha out of Ohio, and Vicki Cunningham, who's um, out of West Virginia. Now, Vicki was the um, headed up the West Virginia Medicaid pharmacy department when they made the change uh, away from managed care that and the spread pricing issue that was unveiled there that ended up saving the state 54 million dollars as well as they're now paying retail pharmacies under medicaid program 110 million dollars a year so she's been fantastic we've had her plugged in uh, to many states uh, who are looking at doing similar type of changes uh, in their pharmacy programs and also we've plugged her into um, some senator's office up on capitol hill uh, Vicki did just tell us that she, um, in her consulting firm, she's going to go back now and work the same role in West Virginia, uh, heading up their pharmacy uh, Medicaid department. So uh, she won't be available for us, but we wish her well, and she's been really fantastic. Well, and and what a powerful team. Scott Pace, uh, many of my listeners will know he's the former executive for the Arkansas Pharmacist Association, who's a lawyer. Uh, he owns a, he and his wife own a pharmacy, or at least they did. And I met Antonio. Help me say his last name. Piachi. Uh, Cha-Cha. Cha-Cha at APHA. Uh, he was a, a featured speaker in one of the programs back there, and he's been instrumental in some of the Ohio 
uh, uh, exposures for PBM practices. So a, a pretty impressive team. Well, so PBMs are a problem that we're passing legislation, we're making progress. Uh, what's going on with Medicare and DIR fees? Yeah, that's real interesting, Bruce. Um, as you're probably aware, uh, CMS passed a regulation last spring uh, that was designed to um, eliminate DIRs uh, um, and have all the dollars reside at the point of sale. And that will go into effect January 1st of 2024. Um, the concern with that, and there's a couple of them, uh, one is what we term the DIR hangover. And that means that pharmacists for the last quarter this year will still have DIR liabilities that will be taken back um, into 2024. And the two entities um, that will have most of an impact on that is Caremark and Prime Therapeutics. Um, but it could really be a cash flow issue for many of our uh, member pharmacies out there. And they really need to start um, um, you know, planning for it, maybe putting some additional dollars away just to get them through that first um, uh, 90, 120 days of 2024. So uh, we're trying to get the word out to all, all the pharmacies that that's coming. Um, and then the, the second issue is you know, we're starting to see some of the, the contracts, at least portions of it coming out of the PDPs. And, um, you know, there's there will be reduced reimbursements uh, up front. And uh, I would suggest to pharmacies to, you know, contact their PSAO and that PSAO can give them a historical background on what those DIR fees have been. Um, and then they can utilize that data to plan for, again, that first quarter of 2024. Uh, but the um, other issue around that is on the performance criteria. And um, uh, we're starting to see where... Some of the plans are asking the, the uh, pharmacies to actually fund the performance earn out um, with some additional dollars at the point of sale. Um, Let me stop you for a minute. So performance, we talk in star ratings and, and those kind of uh, incentives. That is correct. Bruce. OK, so keep um, back up a second and then keep going. Yeah, a lot of those, by the way, are um, adherence measures. Um, and making sure the patients are coming in and getting their refills. Um, um, so that's going to be interesting to see how the plans uh, plan on paying pharmacies for their performance. It's a, it's a good sign that, that in fact, they it, it looks like many will continue, if not all, in some measure. And CMS, unfortunately, has said that they aren't going to get in the middle of it. Uh, we continue to ask them to provide some standards around it so that we're not looking at, you know, 10, 20 different type of measurements that we have to be involved with. But um, right now, CMS has kind of taken a, a step back to see how things are going to play out here. They are getting their plan submissions for the plan year 2024, um, and that'll be finalized uh, probably about mid-summer. So we'll know a lot more then. Well, I, 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 if I take these two things together, um, the DIR fees and the performance things, 
um, the, the pharmacies really need to be doubling down on finding new ways to generate revenue, I guess, is the best way to say this, because the the PBMs, the DIR fees are, are not going away. They're just not going to be imposed retroactively. So uh, that means the reimbursement is still not going up by any way, shape or form. Um, and then for the first few months of next year, uh, they're going to get the retroactive DIR fees coming in and have the DIR fees taken out at point of sale. So as you intimated, there's a double whammy for the first few months of next year. Um, what What's a pharmacy owner supposed to do? Where's, where's, where's the bright lining here? What's the, what's the good news? Well, I think the good news around DIR reform is that it's going to allow, I think, more predictability into the small business model. Um, you'll know kind of upfront now what you're going to get paid. You may get an additional payment based upon your performance some point in the in the future, but it won't be a clawback, right? And that's yeah. that made it really difficult for I think a lot of our um, pharmacy members was uh, even around tax season and that they didn't know exactly how much money they made at the end of the year uh, working with their tax accountants because they just didn't know. Yeah. Um, so now they should be able to at least have that predictability. And, 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 and that's nice. I mean, you've, you've got to know what your drug costs and you got to know what you're going to get. And then you have to figure a plan how to make, make a profit with at least reliable information. And that's a big improvement. And, and while I hear a lot of moaning and groaning over the fact that they didn't go away, the fact that we have taken, we won the battle on the retroactive part of this is something to be celebrated um, as hard as it may be for people to understand that that's a big victory. And people like you and others have contributed, made that possible. Um, so what else, any other good news with Medicare Part D plans and any new changes there we need to be aware of? Well, I would say that, um, you know, there seems to be a willingness uh, to work more closely with, with pharmacies and um, maybe not necessarily in the uh, just the Medicare Part D space, but you probably saw that Express Scripts, ESI, announced just a few weeks ago that they want to uh, bring independent pharmacy uh, closer, uh, including uh, potentially higher reimbursement rates. They're looking to have an independent pharmacy advisory board as part of their network solutions. And so it seems that, that's a real change for ESI, by the way. Uh, in the past, they've not been very communicative about um, what their plans were, uh, but it seems as if there must be a change. It's a welcome change if in fact it plays out the way they've described it. And uh, obviously we'd be very much, uh, we'd like to be very much part of that, uh, that solution. Uh, any clue as to what's driving that? I mean, uh, COVID performance or what? What do you think's behind that management change at, at the at the PBM? 
speculate um, speculate for us mark it's okay yeah. yeah because i i i actually do not know but i think maybe some of all those things i think maybe some new thinking over there obviously how well uh independent pharmacy in the local communities performed during covid and then we're seeing a lot of interest by the way bruce in in uh, payers engaging uh yeah, pharmacies and specifically independent pharmacies and we're we're involved with a program it's a medicaid program up in michigan uh, with united healthcare and for those pharmacies that are participating they're getting paid not only for the outcome of that patient being adherence standards and that but uh, also for the encounter for the education of the patient uh, on how to properly take their medications. These are things that we were doing all, you know, all along, right? That's what pharmacists do. Just we were not getting paid for it. But under this new program, we actually get paid for uh, counseling the patient. And, and a lot of times, as United Health has told me, is that you know, where that really comes in is that relationship with that local um, pharmacist, many times generational with those families coming in and the trust that they have with that local pharmacist um, to get them making sure that the, they're taking their medications appropriately. So we're starting to see across the country. I know that UHC has um, programs in Florida and, and Texas as well that's similar to ours. Um, and we, we hope to um, you know, expand that expand that across the country here in the coming years. Well, and you know that there is there is really good news out there. And I just did an interview, a podcast, a couple of weeks ago, with a bright young pharmacist who's you know plugged into a commercial program with a company that interfaces between uh, health plans and and makes it possible for him to do uh, the specific one he talked about is hypertension evaluations and ongoing monitoring. So appointment-based, a person comes in for a half hour, they take their blood pressure, they review their medication regimen, and they get involved in lifestyle changes and consultations and, uh, you know, uh, report that and, and get paid for that. Um, and they can do it for a person who's getting their prescriptions filled at CVS. It's it's totally not dependent upon the the, the dispensing, although it's more commonly in their pharmacy. But the point is, it's it's separated from the dispensing function, and you know, uh, pharmacists are able pharmacists and pharmacies, I guess I would say, because in many cases, some of these things can be done by a really well-trained uh, technician. So there's a lot of good things going on out there. And I, I hate to say it, but the future's never been brighter for pharmacy owners if they can get out of the doldrums and look up and see what is happening you know, around the edges in their pharmacies, which I guess you had postulated we might talk about a few things that pharmacies can do going forward. And I suspect there's stuff you'd like to see them do in the in the government regulatory affairs, but some other stuff that IPCs bring in. What do you what do you what do you got to share with us on that front, Mark? I think a real exciting uh, initiative, um, and the and the payers are really looking for. Uh, help and solutions around uh, health equity 
and underserved uh, communities, uh, pharmacists, and, and, and that's not just rural areas. There's underserved um, communities in urban areas as well. And um, everyone's trying to close that gap. And if you can be a solution for them uh, to bring access to care to patients, um, and and maybe doing a point of care testing and and those type of things, um, you know, you're you're going to be valuable out there, and they're going to want to uh, contract with you and and pay you for those type of solutions. So uh, I think pharmacists, as you pointed out, they they've got to get out from behind the counter, and that's not easy sometimes. I know I'm a pharmacist and been behind the counter working, but. Um, you know, they've got to find time to be able to do some of these these projects and initiatives. This is really the future of where things are going. And we know that reimbursement rates, I mean, um, you know, prescription drugs are a commodity at this point. Um, you have to be able to go in and provide valuable services that payers are going to want to um uh, extend out into those communities. And if you can be that individual uh, that solves that for them, then you're going to become very important and you will get paid for it. So uh, switching back to uh, one of my, the PBM challenge, um, I, I, what can what can an individual pharmacist do practically speaking, to capture the attention of regulators and politicians and even to solicit the support of employers and consumers in their communities. I, I, I know they have to be careful uh, how active they get in saying things because of contract stuff, but what, what can a pharmacist do in south central los angeles to uh, help fight the pbm abuse issue yeah great question um and we've tried to engage pharmacies um many times just tracking underwater claims uh is really important um when we go into uh, offices uh, elected official offices they're saying, you know, what's the problem? Can you show us data? You know, data is going to be able to to move a lot. Um, and historically, we haven't had that. I um, I can say, Bruce, coming out of the pandemic, um, the American Hospital, I mean, Pharmacy Association actually collected some data on on um, how retail pharmacy performed. And I think it was 740 million doses, uh, COVID doses were given. Um, and that uh, related to a, probably a million lives saved because of the efforts of, of uh, retail pharmacy. That data becomes really important when I go into a uh, elected official's office um, so that they can see that. But at a at a pharmacy level, if they can kind of track and document some of the abuses that are going on, um, then that becomes very, very important. And, and to your point, there are some gag clauses uh, for the most part. Um, in many states now, we've gotten those eliminated. That would include telling the patient that there's a cheaper op, you know, opportunity for them or option, uh, but it also extends to um, you know collecting this type of data 
in many cases and being able to advocate um, uh, for you know the pharmacy community and industry based upon the data that they have um, uh, they've received and, and and gotten put together. So uh, I would say that's probably the most in, important thing: getting involved in knowing your local uh, elected officials is really important as well. And as I mentioned earlier, I want to be that resource when they have a question. Uh, they should also be a, a resource, um, you know, when their elected official has questions. They can't know it all, and so they do rely upon uh, individuals like our, our pharmacy members. So I, I, I'm going to take a risk here because we, we, we hadn't presupposed this question, but I, I'm of the opinion that one of the things that pharmacies need to be careful about do, do differently when they're talking with uh, legislators, regulators, policy people is not so much talk about the woe is me, look at how much money I'm losing on this script or that script. But hey, Mr. Congressman, look what happened to Mrs. Jones because such and such and so and so. I saw a post yesterday a very prominent pharmacist talking about how one of the patients got uh, really treated poorly on an insulin deal. They could only fill two insulins at their pharmacy. And uh, I, and the story strikes me as a better story for a congressman about, you know, here's what happened to Mrs. Jones because of this. And here's what happened to Billy because of this, rather than focusing on, you know, I can't compete because I'm not making any money. Any comment on that? Well, Bruce, that's exactly correct. And um, we do want to be speaking to the patients um, when we're talking to the elected officials, uh, their constituents, and to the point that if you're not going to be in business in those local communities because of some of the challenges, then they are going to have you know those type of you know issues, uh, access issues, and that rings you know true to to folks um, both on Capitol Hill out in Washington D.C. and in the state uh, capitals as well. Um, but it's really important that it's not just about you know. The pharmacy, and that you know I'm losing money. I, that's important, and it's important to document. But it also needs to be told with the surrounding story that this negatively impacts patients in those local communities. So there's been a couple wins in a couple of the states with legislation. You want to end on a high note with a what a couple examples of where some legislation has been passed. Thought I saw something in. Uh, Tennessee or something recently, Tennessee or Texas? Um, yeah, there's been a, quite a few. Um, uh, I would say New York has been a fantastic um, outcome up there. They got um, a Medicaid carve out basically from um, managed care. And those stores now as of April 1st are saying, you know, somewhere between nine, ten dollars of prescription more in reimbursement because of that change. Um, um, you may be referring also to Florida, 
Uh, Florida uh, just passed a PBM reform bill down there that's a really good uh, PBM reform bill with lots of uh, um, restrictions in there. Governor DeSantis um, made this a high priority for his administration and got it uh, pushed through. Uh, there's still a little work to do with that because it didn't, didn't address pharmacy reimbursements, but that's going to be done on the agency level through regulation. And we've got a, we're part of a um, coalition down there um, that's doing just really good work uh, with uh, you know, other organizations uh, uh, independent pharmacy organizations uh, down there. I, I hate to um, um, talk about all of them, but I know that APCI, I believe Epic and others are very involved. Um, and that's just been uh, fantastic. Uh, Montana, by the way, passed a pharmacist prescriber law uh, just last week um, that allow pharmacists to uh, it can't be a new diagnosis, but if a, a patient comes in uh, and uh, uh, a pharmacist can actually uh, prescribe medications um, and change medications without having the physician, um, you know, being part of that. They obviously have to alert the physician's office of those changes. But from a provider status uh, perspective, you know, we now see Idaho and New Mexico's passed a really good bill. Um, Washington State was kind of one of the first ones up there. Uh, Colorado, in fact, uh, passed uh, a good provider status bill last year and a really meaningful PBM reform bill where we worked with the governor's office here this year. Uh, and they're going to be collecting all the data that, uh, you know, that we would want to see, the, the dollars, um, rebate dollars coming in, the DIR uh, dollars coming in, basically all the streams of money that PBMC is now going to be reported to the state. Um, and then um, payers will have the opportunity and option to access that information. Um, it'll be an opt-in and it'll be at an aggregate level, but we're going to be doing a lot more work this summer here in Colorado around that. But it's it's really exciting to see the states in, involved. I'm, 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 I almost want to laugh as you rattle all that stuff off the top of your head. Um, I, I, I don't know how you do it, Mark, and, and you've been doing it for years, but uh, there's 50 states and 20 different organizations and 20 different pro. I mean, how you even know what, where to go and who to talk to is a marvel to me. The, the other thing that clearly pops into my head as you talked about state by state stuff is pharmacists need to join their state pharmacy association. Um, I was just out at the Western Pharmacy Exchange, which is basically the California Pharmacist Association meeting. It was a wonderful event. Um, uh, but the, the stuff that the state associations get involved in, the interaction with the the government agencies, the pharmacy boards, um, they they need 
your dues and they need your involvement and they need your feet on the ground. I, I guess one of the things I like to say is PBMs have an awful lot of money, but the good news is, is we have an awful lot of people. And um, if, if we can get independent pharmacy owners inviting government officials into their store, uh, making visits to government offices, writing letters to government agencies and, you know, it it's 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 another thing to do, but you just listed off, you know, 10 or 12 things where it's made a difference. And uh, uh, th that's my last pitch. Do you have anything you want to say in the last minute we've got here that kind of encourage our owners to keep on going? Yeah, Bruce, and one I'd echo that that thought is that it is important to get involved in your um state associations and we we can't do this by ourselves we work closely with with them as well as NCPA uh, the National Association and um, even NACDS on chains and many times we have similar um, challenges that we work together on not all the time um, but working with other organizations and and particularly important the state associations you know, that's how we're going to get things done. So I, I would encourage, um, you know, independent pharmacists to to join those associations, have a voice um, and not just send your dues in, but also, you know, participate, get involved in the committees. Uh, and that's really important. But I, I'll leave it by saying, uh, you know, I've been doing this 30 years and I have not ever seen the, the momentum that we have on a number of large issues, PBM reform, provider status, um, getting reimbursed fairly by state Medicaid programs and having uh, an objective standard like NADAC and a professional dispensing fee. And those states, again, they've seen that have passed those laws uh, literally for Medicaid patients, many times like an eight, nine, $10 improvement per prescription. So we're, we're hitting it on a number of fronts and it appears as if we're being very successful. States have been great. Uh, and there's a lot of positive things to look forward to. Well, Mark Kenny with IPC, thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Pharmacy Crossroads. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you.